the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Mordecai that's becoming number two in the kingdom. Like I said, the the last chapter, chapter 10, read it. It's just a few verses. It's just going to tell you all about Mordecai. I want you to see why it's called Esther. Because when Esther stood up and found her pathway to God's purpose, she saw it through to the end. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus Christ like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhillchurch.com. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. The King the president, the prime minister, the leader's life is in the hand of the Lord. So while the king is reading, he hears somebody in the hall. Verse 5, it says, the king's young man told him, hey, Haman. (laughs) See, you got to be quick. Haman's standing there in the court. And the king said, let him come in. So Haman came in and the king said, what should be done to the man who the king delights to honor? And Haman said to him, who would, de- who would the king delight to honor more than me? So Haman's thinking, oh, the- this is going to be good. <laughs> the-, the king's about to honor me. He's asked me what I should imagine. Like, you know, it's your birthday. And somebody you love says, hey, somebody special's birthday's coming up. Why do you think I should get them? And you think, ah, I'm going to tell you exactly what I want. And so notice what Haman does. Haman said to the king, for the man who the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought in, which the king has worn. Let the horse that the king has ridden and on whose a royal crown is set, and let robes and horse be handed over to the one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man the king delights to honor. Let them lead him to the horse to the square of the city, proclaiming before him, thus it shall be done to the man the king delights to honor. Then the king said to Haman, great, hurry, go find Mordecai and do this. Can you even imagine his response? So he does it. If you read the rest of that chapter, he does it, and then he goes home and he says to his wife, honey, you, you ain't going to believe this. Remember, remember Haman and what I was going to do, and I, I was building these gallows for him to be hung on, and now he's honored before the, the king. He's number two in the kingdom. And his honey, who clearly did not have the gift of encouragement, said, oh, Haman's a Jew? Oh, you're in trouble. You are doomed. You are messed up now. Hey, and this is a good weekend as we mourn what took place in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, just to remember that our almighty God has always has his hand on the Jewish people, the children of Israel, and the descendants of Abraham. We are one with them because our Savior descended from the Jews. He is a Jew. And so, wow, what amazing thing. So first we got to slow down and learn to listen to God. Then we got to step out in faith. And then we trust God's timing, even when it seems coincidental. 
Let me give you a fourth thing. We have to stand firm against the enemy. We have to stand firm against the enemy. Look at chapter 7. So the king and Haman went into feast with Queen Esther. And on the second day as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king again said to Esther, What is your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Even the half of my kingdom. It shall be fulfilled. Then Queen answer, Esther answered and said, If I found favor in the sight of the king and if it pleased the king, let my life be granted for me and the wish of my people for my request. For we've been sold and I and my people to be destroyed, to be killed, to be annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent. But our affliction is not to be compared with the loss of the king. Then the king Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther, Who is he? And you understand what's happening. She, the king has said, What do you want? I'll do anything you ask. You're the queen. And she says, oh, okay, by the way, I'm a Jew. And there's a plot to kill all the Jews, including me. And if I could have one thing, it would be that you just stop that, that you save people. And then the king says, who is he? Where is he that's declared to dare to do this? And Esther says, he's a foe and an enemy, the wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. Can you imagine the look on his face? He's thinking, shaka, kanamana, what am I going to do? So the king gets mad, he storms out. If you continue reading, what we're told is that Haman climbs up onto the couch beside Queen Esther and begins to beg like a baby. Oh, please. I didn't mean it. Well, whatever, Esther, please help me. I did not mean this. I'll do whatever you want. Please don't let the, the king get me. What happens next? The plot thickens. The king comes back in, and now he's really mad because he sees this man climbing up on the couch next to the queen, and he says, what? Now you're trying to assault my woman? Remember last week when I reminded you that when God wants to accomplish his purpose and his plan, he will move whoever or whatever out of his way or into the plan to accomplish his purpose? Think about how Esther must have thought, felt in the midst of all of this. But God gave her strength. And I just want to remind you real quickly, God, God's given you that same strength. If you're going to be in the pathway of God's purpose, you're going to have to determine, I'm going to stand firm in the face of my enemy. Now, you're going to have little enemies, and they're, they're messengers of the big enemy, but you've really only got one big enemy. And this is what the Bible says about him. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. If you are a child of God, you have the ability to stand. Number one, slow down and listen to God. Number two, step out in faith. Number three, trust God's timing. Number four, stand firm against the enemy. Number five, watch and see God do what only he can do. What you're about to see is a series of divine reversals. God demonstrates that our impossible circumstances are only opportunities for him to demonstrate that nothing is impossible for his incredible power. So he flips the script. He does something that only he could do. 
There are times in your life when you're going to think, all hope is lost. I can't come back from this. I've been beaten down. I've been devalued. Nobody knows what I'm going through. And it's in those moments that God wants to remind you, hey, I've got an override button. And there's no circumstance, there's no situation, there's no possibility that I can't handle. No matter what you're facing, it is not the last word if you're a child of God. So let me just walk through, we're going to fly through these, I want you to see these reversals. So chapter 8 verse 1, on that day the king gave to Queen Esther the house of Haman. He gave Esther Haman's house. You know what that was? An economic reversal. Look at verse 2. And then the king took off the signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and he gave it to Mordecai. You know what that was? It was a political reversal. Look in verse 5. So Esther rose and stood before the king, and she said, If it please the king, I found favor in his sight. If the king seems right before the king, and I'm pleasing to his eyes, let an order be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman, in which he wrote to destroy the Jews in all the provinces of the king. And so she's saying, I know that the law, once it's down, has to be uh, taken care of. So king, could you just write a new law that says, if they come after the Jews, we can defend ourselves, and we can even go after them and take their lives. And so in verse 8, it says, you may write as you please with regard to the Jews in the name of the king, seal it with the king's ring, for an edict written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's ring cannot be revoked. You know what that was? A legal reversal. Verse 16, the Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor in every province and in every city where the king's command and his edict reached. There was gladness and joy among the Jews, a feast and a holiday. So they were terrified. They were horrified. But now they were electrified. The, the Bible says that there are moments of darkness and weeping, but joy comes in the morning. You know what this was? It was an emotional reversal. But notice what it goes on to say. And many from the peoples of the country declared themselves Jews for fear the Jews, for the fear of the Jews that had fallen on them. You know what this was? It's a spiritual reversal. Don't miss this. God may allow you to walk through tough times in life so that he can turn other people to him. But whatever you're facing, and just look at what we covered, economic, political, legal, emotional, spiritual, whatever you're facing, God can turn it on a dime. He can reverse things for your good and his glory. So you've got to watch him do what only he can do. Let me give you the sixth thing. You have to get rid of all the known sin in your life. If you really want to get on the pathway to God's purpose, you've got to say, I'm taking sin seriously. You've got to deal with it. Hey, we're... In chapter 9, we're not even going to look at chapter 10. Chapter 10 is all about Mordecai. But what's the name of this book? Hmm. I wonder why they didn't name it Mordecai. It's a lot about Mordecai. It's Mordecai that's becoming number two in the kingdom. Like I said, the the last chapter, chapter 10, read it. It's just a few verses. It's just going to tell you all about Mordecai. I want you to see why it's called Esther. Because when Esther stood up and found her pathway to God's purpose, she saw it through to the end. 
If you've just joined us, you're listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. Video of the message you're listening to is available when you click the Watch tab at MissionHillChurch.com. Thanks for sharing time with us and for sharing your financial gifts by clicking the Give button at MissionHillChurch.com. And now, with more of today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. Understand what's taking place. Look at chapter 9, verse 1. Now in the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar, on the thirteenth day of the same, when the king's command and edict were about to be carried out, on that very day, say on that very day. When the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain the mastery over them, the reverse occurred. If you've got your Bibles open, you might want to flip back to Esther chapter 3, verse 13. Because that's where Haman, in his plot, he devised the day 12 months earlier that would be the destruction of the Jews. And God, who is always on time. God, who is never caught off guard. God, who is on his throne. On that very day, he shows up. And the Jews gained mastery over those who hated him. (laughs) And you think, man, that's great. What a wonderful ending. But we don't have the words, the end. And so I want to just kind of wrap this up with these thoughts. Look at verse 12. The king said to Queen Esther, in Susa, the citadel, the Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men and the 10 sons of Haman. What have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? What's your wish? It shall be granted you. What's your further request? And Esther said, if it please the king, let all the Jews who are in Susa be allowed tomorrow also to to do according to this day's edict. And let the ten sons of Haman be hanged on the gallows. What's she saying? We're not finished yet. We haven't done everything we need to do. All the sin has not been gotten rid of. And so King, you you said you will give me one more request. Well, let me do this. Give us one more day and let us finish the job. And then those 10 sons of Haman that were killed, let's hang them on the gallows. Now, if you don't understand what's taking place here, that's kind of confusing, because when we think of gallows, we think of a John Wayne movie. We think of wooden gallows with a noose hanging down. That's not what it was. The Persian gallows were big stakes, 75 feet, seven and a half stories tall, in the ground. And when someone was hung on the gallows, that means they were impaled. Do you get the picture? Their bodies were impaled on these big poles so that everybody could see they didn't make it. And so she said, give us one more day to deal with this problem of these people. And then take those 10 sons and just hang them on the, on the gallows. Why was she so serious? Well, you've got to read the, all of the Bible. This is not an independent story. See, the Bible tells us in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 15... That God told Saul to kill all of the Amalekites. But Saul disobeyed God, it says in verse 3, and he let the king go free. And the king was named Agag. And Agag had descendants. And one of those descendants was named Haman. And because one man of God didn't deal with the problem the way God 
had told him to, for generations that followed, the sin continued. And so Esther, this woman of God, said, we're going to deal with this once and for all. Let's take care of this. And I want to tell you something. Some of you are playing with sin. You come in on a day like this and you say, oh God, I blew it again last night. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. And the truth is, Jesus the Christ died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. So he has forgiven you. But you've not dealt with the sin in your life. You've not forsaken it. You've not turned away from it. And for some of you, you've now passed it on down to generations. So your children and your grandchildren are dealing with these descendants of sinfulness that you've not dealt with in your life. And God would say, get rid of it. If you really want to be a part of a God moment, if you really want to see a God movement, say, God, I want more of you. I want less of me. I want you to take everything here at my feet, my dreams, my desires. I lay it all down. And then when that moment comes, because seven is that great biblical number, let me give you the seventh thing. When that moment comes, mark those God moments and those God movements so they'll be remembered. We're covering a lot of chapters real quick, so let me just tell you what happens. Esther got her wish. And the king said, now based on what's happened, let's celebrate. And let's call this celebration Purim. Because remember in chapter 3, when Haman cast the pur or the lot, he rolled the dice. He said, let's call this the feast of the lots or the feast of Purim, lot plural. Because I want you to remember that things in this world don't just happen by chance. But that our God is sovereign. That our God is a God of providence. And that he even allows evil so that his ultimate purpose might be accomplished. And so the Jews today still celebrate the Feast of Purim. You know what they do? The the kids will take and on the soles of their shoes... They'll write two H's. And one H stands for Haman, and the other H stands for Hitler. And and they're remembering that God is so great that he did not allow for their destruction. They mark that moment, and the reason they still have the feast is because they want to pass down to generations the provisions of God. Here's what I want you to understand. Some of you need to start passing down Purim to your children and to your grandchildren. You need to tell them the stories of how God has worked in your life, how you've seen those markers and those monuments of what he's done, and you need to celebrate that with them so that they can see that God is a God who still works. Well, when you discover God's purpose for your life, you discover that his purpose is bigger than you are. That's what I'm trying to tell you. I've tried to smile a lot. We've laughed some, but hear me say this. It's not about you. It's not about me. 
God wants us, but he doesn't need us. He wants to see his purpose prevail and his name glorified. His kingdom program is bigger than you. So that's why we said the big idea was this. You are created on purpose for a purpose, but you won't get to see God's providential purpose for your life until you take steps to align your life, yourself with his will. Remember when we were kids, we would do that connect the dot artwork? That's the only way I could ever draw a pretty picture. Not very artistic. But, but when you're just looking at that blank page of dots and numbers, it looks like chaos. But when you go from one to two and from two to three and from 27 to 28, and when that connect the dot picture is finished you realize hey I'm not very artistic but I now see what these numbers and what these dots were supposed to be I want you to begin to look at your life as if it was a big connect the dots and you may not be able to connect all the dots on this side of heaven but I promise you there will be a day where you're able to look back and say God was at work in my life Philip Yancey said, faith is believing in advance what will only make sense in reverse. What if this is your God moment? One of my favorite preacher stories is about Vance Havner. He he tells the stories of of how in the South there was a city where uh, they were expecting a big cotton crop. And and yet um, bugs came in and they, uh, the boll weevils, they ate up all the plants And it destroyed the crop. And this town really thought the town would be ruined. But somebody had the idea of, why don't we plant peanuts instead of cotton? Because the boll weevils don't like peanuts. And and they began to plant peanuts, and they had this huge crop of peanuts. And over time, that city began to be known for its harvesting of peanuts. The name of the city, Enterprise, Alabama. Those enterprising people in enterprise, they became peanut farmers. And one day, you know what they even did? They made a monument to the boll weevil. Hey, what if your pain is supposed to be a monument toward God's purpose? What if your problems are supposed to be used as a part of God's plan? What if your disappointments and and, and difficulties and detours are a part of God's divine destiny and what he wants to do for your purpose? What if God is working in that way in your life? What if those letdowns are supposed to be moments to point others to look up to him? Have you gotten in on what he is doing Well, it's October 28th, 69, 69, yeah, 69 years ago today, on October 28th, Jim Elliott wrote this in his journal. That's his journal. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I wonder if you're willing to give up what everything else is saying you to get in on so that you can get in on a movement of God. This all started because one man, Mordecai, was unwilling 
to let man take God's place. Ironically, our God invites us into a movement where he took our place. And because Jesus was hung on the gallows, because Jesus was put on the pole, because Jesus dealt with sin once and for all, we can live a life that's worth living. Hey, I beg you today. Everybody wants you to be a part of their movement. You can hashtag MAGA. You can hashtag Black Lives Matters. Hashtag Blue Lives Matters. Hashtag Me Tutors. All kind of hashtags. Here's what I want you to do. Just get in on what God is doing. Get in on the movement of God. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis, an outreach of Mission Hill Church. If you're looking for answers to difficult questions or searching for a church home, you're invited to any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. Details and directions at missionhillchurch.com. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement, but it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhillchurch.com and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhillchurch.com. Weekdays at 9 a.m. Be encouraged by The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk, a.m. 570 and 910.